Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Later in the show, I'll chat with owner and operator of Val's Fry Bread, Valine Hatotli. On the phone with me is Zachariah Bin, owner of Biddy Baby Foods. Welcome to our show, Zachariah. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Zachariah Ben. I am of the Navajo tribe. My clans are Yeidene and Nishle, Oze Tachini Bashachin, Ketlachini Dashache, Ashehen Dashanele, and Natani Inez E. Nasha. I was born and raised in Shiprock, New Mexico. I am an artist and a farmer. My mediums that I use to express Navajo culture and the stories and experiences of my own, I use sand, all natural pigment. And on the farm side of things, I like to think of that as an art as well. And using the medium of the water, the earth, the sky, the constellations, and being able to intertwine all of those elements to create a healing food. That's who I am as a farmer. Well, it's a pleasure to have you today. And to get started, can you tell us what is the Biddy Baby Foods? Biddy Baby Foods is a dried steamed corn. In Navajo, it is nishjiji. We mill it down into a cereal like grits or uh, the same cooking process as oatmeal or cream of wheat. And why did you start the Biddy Baby Foods? We wanted to give the community an option to feed their children traditional foods. The dehydrated cereal also has a more shelf life for families on the reservation who may not have electricity uh, or cold food storage. So we wanted to be able to bring back some of the traditional methods of food storage and food uses and reintroduce it back to our people. And what is your mission? To increase people's awareness and confidence to provide their children traditional local foods that is organic, that has grown on their land, rather than just uh, resort to name brand products that are foreign to who we are as a people and our culture. And how do traditional teachings influence your Biddy Baby Foods? Everything about Biddy Baby Foods was done with our own hands. So a lot of this entails a lot of innate ways of working with the land, both traditionally and adapting to the modern ways of farming. A lot of influences come from the ceremony the Navajo traditional ceremonies. Planting. You know, when we start planting, we start by bringing in the youth and also um, bringing in medicine men and ourselves and merge the two of the youth and the medicine people and elders within our community. And we have a little get-together, maybe a little planting festival where we will bring in songs and prayers and talks about the land, why we plant, how we plant, being able to intertwine the modern ways of not introducing pesticides, no herbicides, and managing the land by hand and by using techniques that will allow us to cultivate the corn without using a lot of the herbicides. So by hand and by tractor is the way we are able to cultivate. From that to Harvesting, we have medicine men who come in to, again, to collect corn pollen. And as they are collecting corn pollen, they would sing and using Bidiwe songs and prayers to, in a way, resynchronize who we are as a people, physically and spiritually, and use those teachings and that understanding of those prayers and songs to be able to create life. Those are different topics that we are able to talk and touch upon as we are managing and stewarding the field. All the products that we sell 
um, about 20 to 10% of that is always donated back to the community every year. And so we, we kind of make it a way to be able to, to give back to the people to, so that way they can stay familiarized with their food. A lot of this is donated back into the ceremonies to elders and to new families coming about within um, the Navajo Nation. So that's how a lot of the traditional teachings influence who we are, what we are, and what we, we will continue on that path. Oh, wow, that is amazing. And um, Zach, can you tell us the other products you make? I know, I believe you have another product um, utilizing squash. Yes, yes, we use um, Kusha, the Kusha squash, which is also uh, a Navajo squash of ours. From that to zucchinis and watermelons and cantaloupe. A lot of the products that we make are more fresh, and so those are immediately either donated back or um, sold at local farmer's markets here on the Navajo Nation. A lot of that, and, and the Bitty Baby is also very um, versatile. So because of that, it also kind of just has uh, multiple uses in one. So everything from Nishtiji, Nishtiji Bitkat Nil, Nishtiji Do Nayuze Bitkat Nil is the translations that we label our products first before the English translation. So Nishtiji is the dried steamed corn. Nishtiji Bitkat Nil is the dried steamed corn cereal. And Nishtiji Do Nayuze Bitkat Nil is dried steamed corn with squash cereal. Oh, wow. And the Bitty Baby Food is really a unique idea to introduce um, kids at a young age to the steamed corn. But why do you think it's important to introduce these traditional foods to children? My wife and I, we've really watched our son's development. And being new parents, we wanted to give him that food access to who he is and what he is um, using the land to be able to relay a lot of that and to feed him that type of nutrition um, spiritually, which was something early on we've decided. And so the foods that they eat at an early age will definitely shape their preferences for life. Navajos and other local tribes have been eating steamed corn for generations and our bodies soak in nutrition, nutrition that comes from the elements of fire, earth, water, and the air. So surprisingly, a lot of these elements, you know, are the, the four sacred elements that we have all intertwine with each other to create this traditional power food. And we want to be able to introduce that immediately to our children. And a lot of this has been interesting to see because, for example, like the grit, when the child is being introduced to solid foods, they start to eat the food, the, the cereal, and the small grits, they start to, in a way, develop around how they're going to chew. So they're shaping their muscles in their mouth. They're shaping their muscles and using their tongue, playing with the grit. And... You know, for, for a while, you'll have them, um, you know, just watching them kind of like, you know, like like stickiness in their mouth and they're trying to move it around and trying to understand it. And seeing that development in action right away from foods that you make is very rewarding, knowing that this is who we are. This is what we can be. And that is I think is the most beautiful thing about being able to create your own food and share that with not only your family, but with your communities. So that's how we, that's why we see it is a very, has a lot of significance for um, children's development. And what do you enjoy most about working in the food business? Um, being able to come up with new recipes and, um, I use new very lightly because new is, in a lot of ways, as I've mentioned before, is being able to re-familiarize ourselves with the food process. 
of our ancestors. Um, I'm sure this is something that they used back then and still a lot of us use today, but in different manners and in different settings. But being able to bring it back, bring it back again to, to, to bring back that significance of who we are, especially and as an indigenous people stewarding the land and being able to motivate others through that understanding to eat more traditional foods. And I know you're, um, you mentioned that your small family farm is located in Shiprock, New Mexico, but is your product available in the Metro Phoenix area or other areas as well? Currently, we're still working out on branching out into retail stores, but at the moment, we are sticking to e-commerce. So we do sell online and products can be shipped to the metropolitan area of Phoenix and around and basically wherever the United States Postal Service will serve. Yes, we will get products out there. And how can someone find out more information about the Biddy Baby Foods or how can someone contact you if they wanted to get in contact with you? They can definitely find out more on our Instagram page. Um, we currently just started up a new Instagram page at Biddy Baby Foods. Um, that's one way to see our journey um, and, and to be a part of our journey and to partake and you know, get in contact to be able to um, do a farm visit. From that to um, direct message to Instagram. And I do have a cell phone that we use for Bitty Babies. That is the 505-860-2962. That is our phone number for Bitty Babies where you can either text or call to be able to place an order. Well, I would like to thank you, Zachariah, for taking time out today to tell us more about your Bitty Baby Foods. Yes, thank you so much for allowing us to have our voices heard, especially being a farmer. And many of us are able to have that opportunity, and we appreciate it so much being able to, again, share who we are, what we are through the food. So thank you so much. Coming up, Lanasha will talk with Valine Hathaly. Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix, and located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the Native American community. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Native Talk Arizona returns after this break. You are listening to A Warrior's Love Song by Aaron White. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Pwati. 
With me is Valine Hatathli, owner and operator of Val's Fry Bread. Welcome to our show, Valine. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Sure. Um, my name is Valine Hatathli. I'm from the Navajo Nation. Uh, and I am originally from the Comine Mesa, Arizona area, and that's a place um, a lot of the community members were moved out because of the the uranium, and uh, Bennett Freeze basically just moved them out and, and purchased them or built them houses in wherever they wanted them. A lot of people... Uh, relocated to Sanders or Tuba City, um, but my family stayed. My grandparents refused to move. They stayed in that area until um, they got old to where they needed help, and um, they we got a house just like a mile west of where we were originally at, and um, that's where we relocated to. So the community, the new community, is called Comine Canyon. So that's where I'm from, and um, I started my academic career at Diné College in 2004 to 2006. I studied um, uh, Diné culture there and uh, fell in love with it. And then I transferred to ASU. I got my bachelor's, and then I went to work um, at Salt River Project, Navajo Generating Station, and I was there for seven years. And uh, I just decided, you know, when the plant shuts down, I want to go back to school, get my master's degree. I want—I don't want to go back into business. I want to—I want something creative. You know, I want to go after something that will allow me to be creative. And I thought maybe I'll get a master's in arts or something. So when NGS was shutting down, I left, I resigned, I moved down to Phoenix with my husband, and I started um, my master's program at ASU, and I decided to go into um, sustainability leadership. And I love the program. It was, you know, I, I realized that um, sustainability can be applied to anything, and um, it's just releasing stress off of systems that are overworked, overstressed. Um, that includes people and um, just taking care of everything, every every kind of life, you know, from plants, agriculture, to running a business, to yourself, to the people around you, just taking care of them and making sure that they're prosperous. Um, and then I got, kind of like into a situation where I needed money to pay for my classes, to pay for the program fees and stuff. And, um, you know, Val Freibred helped me do all that. So after I graduated with my master's in sustainability leadership, I went back to Diné College and I got a certificate of arts um, in Navajo weaving. So I do twill weaving um, that's my specialty, but I do other stuff like sash belts. I do flat weaves, um, saddle blankets. Um, I turn my little twill rugs into little purses. So a lot of the stuff allows me to be creative. A lot of things I do, and I get to interact with people and have fun. And uh, my family is a big supporter of what I do. And so I live a good life and a sustainable life. And that's my journey so far. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Val. And to get started, you did mention how Val's Fibred also helped you helped you through college. Can you tell us more about how you started the Val's Fibred? Sure. Like I said, I needed money to pay for my college program fees, the book, the um, tuition. You know, it's very expensive going to college nowadays, uh, going for a master's degree, paying for all the little fees that go along with going to college, you know, it's stressful at the same time because a lot of your time is dedicated to your studies. Um, at the same time, I was working. Um, I just needed extra money to pay for my, my tuition and stuff. And 
you know, I was working nine to five. I was going to school um, Monday through Friday, nine to five. And it, it was, there was, everything was like crammed in. But the thing I enjoyed was that uh, when the pandemic started, I was just told to work from home. So I worked at home. And then when I was finished with work, I just switched it over to um, ASU, uh, took my personal laptop out, and I started working on my schoolwork. So it was an easy flip. I didn't have to spend hours sitting in traffic trying to get home and then sit down and do my schoolwork. Everything was right there. And, um, I, you know, like I said, money was short at the time, and I was weaving I spent a lot of time weaving rugs and stuff, and I couldn't sell them. Nobody was buying my rugs. So then uh, my aunt, she was actually selling at the Native Arts Market at Factel Pavilions. She told me to come over and sit with her and try to sell my rugs there. So I sat there for like two days. Nobody was buying. Um, and I heard the coordinator of the event talking to somebody else, and she was like, we need to find a food, uh, fried bread vendor. You know, we have to find them. Go find somebody. And uh, the end of the day, I approached her. Her name is Denise Rosales. And I was like, I can make fry bread. Can I be your food vendor? And she's like, yeah, sure. You have to go through um, the Salt River Pima Indian community. And you have to work with um, a guy named Chris Hinkey. He's going to get you the forms you need. You need, you know, your business license. You need your tax license. You need a health permit. And then they have an application for a vendor form. Fill all that out. You know, you have to pay all the fees. And when you got that all, then you can be a vendor here. So I spent the next week just working on all that stuff. Um, My mom had tables. She had canopies. Um, We had a little burner. I had a little fry bread pan, you know, and uh, we got my sister's ice chest and we made dough. And back then in the beginning, I had to make everything on site. So we packed up you know, my truck real early. And then we went over there and I made like, back then I was using 50 pound bags of fry bread. And, you know, can you imagine like being outside and making fry bread and, or the dough and everything, and then letting it set and everything and getting everything else prepared to sell. It was a lot of work and I was exhausted. You know, my classes ran till midnight and then I would just switch over to cooking like the chili beans, um, getting them ready for the next day. And it was a lot of work and very little sleep. So that that's how Val's Fry Bread got started. And at first, I was just a food vendor. I didn't have a brand. I didn't have a logo or anything. But people enjoyed the fry bread, and they just kept coming back. And, you know, I had enough funds to pay for what I needed to pay for for school and I had a little extra left over to invest back into the fry bread business. And I got a banner. I started buying my own equipment. I got a little generator. Um, just all these little things started coming together. Uh, I bought a little trailer, little cargo trailer. I, I pack all my stuff in. And it just worked out. And so this business just keeps growing. And I'm allowed to build my business because I have customers you know wanting the fry bread and some of them are very loyal customers um and people curious to know you know what is Val's fry bread you know I want I want to taste some good fry bread and so you know them coming over and buying my products and stuff it allows me to reinvest back into Val's fry bread and make it bigger and I'm really excited about that I'm just overwhelmed with you know people enjoying the fry bread you know, they buy from my stuff. I'm reinvesting in my business and it's just growing. I'm just sitting back and I'm just watching it grow. Oh, wow. That is amazing, especially how it all started from a conversation from somebody wanting a vendor, how all of that started where you are today. Um, I know you mentioned that it was very exhausting. It was a lot of work, but how did you stay motivated um, starting Val's Fry Bread while going to school still and working? Are there any specific influencers? I stayed motivated because I wanted to do some, I wanted to challenge myself, first of all. Um, I was learning about sustainable businesses, and I'm just like, this is my opportunity to build a sustainable business. 
you know, what is a sustainable business? What does a sustainable business look like? How can I build this company into a sustainable business? You know, I'm, I'm standing there in the kitchen, like five, six o'clock in the morning making dough. And that's what's running through my head is like, how can I make my business more sustainable? How can I help you know, specifically college students. I do hire college students to work at my food stand just to help them out because, you know, we've all been there. We all need a little help sometimes with a little bit of money. And, you know, maybe we have to buy a new set of tires for our vehicle or we are short on rent or we just need a little bit of money to buy food, to buy, you know, household supplies to clean our homes or, or something like that, you know. And, Textbooks for college, it's, you know, I think the highest price textbooks I've seen is $800 and they, they don't, they're not cheap. So, um, all that stuff I'm thinking, you know, I can give back to college students because that's where I started from, um, with Val's Fry Bread. I was a college student and I, I needed money just to pay for whatever. So I figured, well, I can give back and hire college students. So just keeping in mind, you know, well, who's working this weekend at the food stand, you know, so-and-so's coming in, you know, I have students from like Tucson or Flagstaff coming in and they're traveling down here and they're making um, money. So that motivates me. I'm just like, somebody's depending on me, you know, to, to find some financial relief. Um, And then of course my customers, they're they're waiting, you know, they're expecting, you know, fry bread, Navo tacos, beans and cheese. And then on Sundays they're expecting steamed corn stew with fry bread and a and a drink. And I got people coming from all over the valley and it's it's very rewarding, you know. So that what that's what motivates me to keep going, you know. I'm like, okay, another weekend we're gonna do this sale. Um my major influencer would be the people around me, uh, my immediate family, um, my mother. She She's always there. She always chimes in. She tells me, you know, you could do it this way or you should do this or buy this item so it'll be, be uh, faster for you. And sometimes when I'm doing a catering job, it's a big, you know, I have a maybe 500 people I'm trying to cook for and I only got an hour to serve them. Like what's the prep time going to be? What's the setup going to be? So that's when my whole family comes together and we all brainstorm and we make a diagram of how everything's going to work. And then we get to the location. We try to set it up like that. We try to follow the diagram and, you know, a lot of times we're successful and sometimes we have to improvise and adapt to the situation. So my major influencers are my immediate family around me, specifically my mother. And um, I like to practice this thing where I get my team together, you know, kind of like at the dinner table. And we talk about what we want um, as far as our school, our business, our livelihood. And we kind of just, you know, have this brain power, you know, working at work and we kind of just set all that into the universe, this this vibe of, you know, like the things we want to attract for ourselves. And that's what I believe works for us. And it keeps us motivated. It keeps us focused on our personal goals or academic goals or, you know, goals in our jobs. So I like to practice a lot of that. And I always try to convey it to students, you know, get a team together, talk about your goals, Talk about your wishes, you know, if you want to call them that and just communicate it with others. Others will focus in on it for you and you just let that vibe out in the universe and it'll come back to you tenfold. So that's how I try to set the students up for success. And of course, the mentoring process of um, encouraging them to continue on with their academic career Um, other scholarships that are out there. And then we just share stories of like how we survived college or specific classes. So it really does help to work around people all the time. We'll continue our discussion with Valene Hathaly after this break. 
Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, providing COVID vaccinations and testing at our Phoenix and Mesa locations. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or register online at our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Native Talk Arizona returns after this break. You are listening to Spirit Horses by Annie Humphrey. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. We're continuing our chat with owner and operator of Val's Fry Bread, Valine Hatatli. Thank you for sharing that, Val. That was great advice. I especially like the tradition that you have of coming together with either family or friends and just coming together, telling each other what your goals are so that way you can support each other. Um, But Val, to go back, how did you, first off, how did you learn to make fry bread? I was, you know, I grew up on the res and at my grandparents' house sometimes, you know, especially in the summer times when all my cousins were there, all my aunties would come visit. You know, I had People just, we would just all stay at my grandparents' house because they had um, 10 acres of cornfields and watermelon fields and they had animals, we had cattle, we had sheep, we had like one horse that all the kids played on all day long. Um, But, you know, the mealtime, we had to cook for a lot of people, especially during holidays, you know, or if we were having... Um, a family get-together, it was a big family. My grandparents have 11 children, and then, of course, there's all their grandchildren, so I'm one of their grandchildren, and um, I was always told to make bread. Like, of course, me and my cousins, we all were taught how to make bread, you know, tortilla bread and um, biscuits, um and I was one of the oldest girls, so it was like, Val, make bread, make dough, make dough for tortilla bread, make dough for fry bread. And I was just little. Um, I want to say I was probably like five or six years old when my grandmother was showing me how to mix the dough. And I would just sit there and watch, and she would tell me, this is how you do it, and all this stuff, and Of course, she always talked about whenever you're doing something, making something, you know, always have positive thought, you know, put the positivity into your food. Other people are going to enjoy your food. Your food will come out good. Basically, make it with love (laughs) is what she taught me. And um, when I used to go to my Nully's house, um, I remember my Nully lady over there, she told me to make fry bread. And at the time, I didn't know what fry bread was. I only knew what um, tortilla bread was. And I was just like, what? Like, she gave, she rolled a piece of dough and she gave it to me. She told me to flop it out. And I was just like, uh, you know, I was fumbling around. I was just like, I remember, you know, my grandpa, my grandma does this. You know, I kind of just tried to mimic what my grandmother did. And I gave it back to my Nully. And she was just like, what is this? This is not how you do it. You know, it's all thick and it's lumpy. And I didn't know. So my Nelly was just like, she kind of just sat me down and 
she made me practice and practice and practice. And I think it was like the last piece of bread I made was decent. <laughs> and then uh, when I went back to my grandmother's house, um, I I started doing what my Nelly lady, lady showed me. And people noticed, hey, you know, Val can make bread. Like, just let Val do it. <laughs> And I remember there was times where I was like, I don't want to make dough. I don't want to make bread. And my mom, she would be like, but grandma likes the way you make it. Or grandpa likes the way you make it. Just make it. And I would just kind of get stuck in the kitchen making the dough and the bread. And it wasn't like every once in a while. It was like every day I was making dough and I was making tortilla bread all the time. And um, only during certain occasions. I would make fry bread and fry bread was easy because you didn't have to mix in any oil into the dough. It was, you know, basically flour, water and whatever else you wanted to add to it. So my brother who was a year younger than I was, he really loved Navajo tacos. Like if anybody ever asked him, what do you want for dinner? What do you want for lunch? He was always like, I'll take a Navajo taco. (laughs) It's just kind of funny. Me and my sister kind of laugh about it now because it was like, oh, don't ask him what he wants to eat. He's going to say an Avajo taco, and then people are going to be like, go make him an Avajo taco. But now that's our business. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, my brother, um, he was always trying to ask me and my sister to make bread, and then he figured out how to make dough. He figured out how to make the fry bread. And so when my mom wasn't home and it was just us three kids, we would make fry bread. We would cut it up. We would kind of like play with it and make it to how, however we wanted it and fry it up. And I remember my brother's idea one day was to get um, the chili beans and wrap it with the fry bread dough and fry it. And he want you know, he took it out and everything and he was putting like cheese and stuff on it and trying to make, trying to make it look like a Navajo, little Navajo taco. And so stuff like that, we, we just played around with it and we experimented a lot with food and, um, fry bread was one of the things that like had to be there when we were kids. So that's how I learned how to make fry bread. A lot of repetition, a lot of, you know, just trying out different recipes um I've seen people put like powdered milk in there eggs sugar and so I would change my recipe up just to play with the recipe and see how it came out thank you for sharing that Val um talking about experimenting and doing other things I know one of the product you also offer through your business is a fry bread mix, but do you want to expand your product line as well? Yes, I do. I want um, I want to see if we can make uh, like a chili bean mix. I don't know, like I don't know how that would go. I did send my chili bean mix to one of my friends, and um, he offered a tasting. He lives in Colorado. And I sent him um, the mix. I sent him the chili beans, the the mixture, and he said they loved it. So he mentioned uh, making the chili bean mix. And I was just like, I don't know. And, you know, getting all the ingredients in large quantities and sending it off like that and then getting the nutritional facts and stuff. It's like, oh, man, you know, that would be a great idea, but it's a lot of of uh, looking into stuff and making sure I can sell this and finding the the shelf life. Um, but stuff like that comes up and I'm just like, I think we can make something like that. Um, but for now, we do have like grills we sell, um, T-shirts, you know, the fry bread mix, um, maybe do a dry mix. Last night when we were doing our when I was teaching the class, um, somebody mentioned the the tortilla mix. Like, how do you change Val's fry bread to make a regular tortilla? So I was like, that's a, that's a good idea. Something to look into, maybe selling another bag for just the tortilla mix. 
And then we also have the blue corn fry bread mix. There's there's a lot of possibilities out there. I think it just takes time to, you know, get get all that stuff situated and set up. Oh, definitely. There's a lot more research to go a lot of research mm-hmm. to go behind it. Um, yeah. But I know you mentioned some of your product that you do offer, like you said, some of the grills and all the other mixes that you offer. Do you, where do you currently ship your products to? You know, when I started selling the fry bread mixes, I noticed a lot of the orders that were coming in were from military bases. And I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool, you know? So I would like, whatever they ordered, I'd add one more fry bread mix onto it. Um and then people just just all over the place, they were um, I sh- currently all over the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. I do have customers in Canada, and I'm working with an organization to try to sell my fry bread mix internationally. So specifically, I do want to sell in Japan. They have um, Native American stores out there where they just, it's like Native American artifacts and stuff you can find in Japan. And I want to see if I can get my fry bread mixes in there. Okay, perfect. And I also just want to mention to our listeners that you are going to be doing an upcoming virtual class with us. Your product, this is a good opportunity for them to try it. But Val, I wanted to ask you, how can someone find more information about And Val, earlier you had mentioned how you had some students who come and helped you. What can they benefit when they come and help you? A lot of times I talk to my students about sustainability, how they can be sustainable. Um, the, the, when I first started my sustainability journey, I was told, you, um, you can't be sustainable if you're poor. And for me, I really wanted to challenge that, that, you know, thought or that theory because I'm, you know, I'm Navajo and people on the Navajo reservation, they don't have a lot of resources. They don't have decent grocery stores, like the kind of grocery stores we find on in Phoenix, you know, they're, they don't have those kind of grocery stores where there's a lot of fresh produce. And I thought, you know, we don't have a lot of, um, great community infrastructure like the kind you find in Phoenix and for me I'm just like I question what is wealth you know western society says wealth if you have money you can have a good home you can have electricity running water vehicles you have a good job you know you have a lot of um, material wealth and for me as a Native American as an indigenous person for me, I define wealth as having family members around you. If you have a mother and a father, you have your maternal grandparents and paternal grandparents, you have siblings, you're rich. If you have animals, if you have livestock, you know, you're more blessed. You know, it's, that's what I see as wealth. Um, so to hear somebody say, you can't be sustainable if you're poor, it was like, well, how, you know, what is wealth? What is poverty? Um, how do you define it? And for me, it was kind of a conflict um, between where I was, because I was living in, a, in Phoenix at the time. I was in Apache Junction. And then I was, you know, from the reservation. And the things that we have to deal with on the reservation, you know, people in the city would have never thought of like we have arsenic in our water we have uranium in our water you know we have to travel you know people on the reservation they travel um from 120 to 200 miles every two weeks just to go grocery shopping you know they travel far distances to get their groceries they go home they put it all away you know if they're planning to make something and they're missing an ingredient they can't just run to the corner and be like hey I need this um so I talk a lot about those kind of situations with my my um, college students um and then you know my sister she has her degree in water resources 
Um, so she chimes in and she talks about water rights and how different tribes, some tribes have water rights, others don't, and kind of puts in perspective of, you know, the possibilities tribes have if they had water rights. Um, and she, she's had, she has a science background. I have more of a business background. So talking to people, the, the students that I work with, you know, they're just starting out their college, to, their college journey and they're working on their general studies. And so kind of to just broaden their scope of the world and their understanding behind why they need to um, study their basic fundamental classes. Like it, it kind of like, gives them that aha moment. I'll be like, okay, this is why they have us doing this in, you know, freshman year of college. So, you know, there's a lot of topics we talk about. And then we talk about back home on the reservation, you know, somebody might be having a ceremony or um, an event is going to happen like um, the Kinalda or um, some kind of big ceremony. And they, don't quite understand why it is they have to do what they have to do. And so me and my sister and my mom, we, we stand there and we tell them, we talk, we're so excited to explain, you know, the processes of different ceremonies and why you need all these, you know, lists of things to do and how to do it. And especially like a wedding ceremony, you know, why you do the things you do in a wedding ceremony. So just sharing that cultural knowledge with them is exciting with college students, you know, young people. And, you know, hopefully they take that understanding with them and they share with other people and they participate in ceremonies back home. So there's a lot of information that we help the student with and um, we communicate about different um, scholarship opportunities that we've taken part of and they should try or we, we help them network with people so that they can be more successful. Um, and then we just have fun. You know, some people don't know how to make fry bread dough. So I'll kind of put a, little, a bowl aside for them in the morning time when I have to make the dough. I'll be like, come help me with this. And they'll be making the dough with me. Um, or I'll show them how to, how I make my chili beans. Um, and if they have uh, something they want to cook and sell at the fry bread stand, that's great. You know, add some items to the menu. Um, one gal that works for me, she makes tamales and a lot of the customers know her as the tamale lady. So when they see her working there, they're like, oh, there's tamales over there. And, you know, people will be buying one or two. A couple of them that know how her tamales are, be like, I'll take 12. And, you know, she doesn't make a lot. She probably makes like 35. And by that time, she's just like, I'm all out. Sorry. But uh, we got some customers that um, call in advance if they if they find out she's there. They'll be like, can you tell her to save me this much? I'm like, all right. So we kind of put that away for them. Um, but it's fun overall. Uh, and then sometimes like at the fry bread stand, I, I ran out of like honey or we don't have enough um, Crisco oil. So I'll be like, can you run to the store and get this and this and. So sometimes I need a runner to get some some materials or ingredients that I ran out of um, or change. A lot of times we just go to the casino because it's right there by Talking Stick. So we just send them off with a big $100 bill and they come back with a bunch of $1 bills. But it's fun overall. Um, they get a really rich experience from it all and I always encourage them you know if you have the time you know come back and help us out uh, it doesn't have to be like when we're at the food stand either because I do understand some people have to study and they can only get away for like one or two hours and I'm just like hey if you want to wash dishes after the event you can because I don't like washing dishes by the end of the day I'm exhausted but we have like a pile of dishes that still need to be clean and then put away. So sometimes I have people just 
wash the dishes for me. And then I pay them out and then they leave only because that that's the only time they can spare. Thank you for sharing that, Val. It does sound like the students really gain a lot of knowledge and experience just working with you. It's not just about working. You really give them more knowledge about everything overall. Um, but how can someone find out more information about Val's Frybread and how can someone contact you if they're interested in helping you as well? Um, I'm on social media. Uh, just send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. Um, you can go to valvesfrybread.com and there's a section at the bottom of the website where you can leave comments your name, your email, uh, leave a comment. And, um, you know, that I also put on there where we're going to be selling next. So if we're going to be in your area and you notice it and be like, hey, can I work out your food stand? You know, most likely I'm going to say yes. Um, so just reach out in that way and, you know, hopefully you can help us out during one of our sales. Um you know, with the college students, a lot of time I find that we have to work with each other's schedules and sometimes there's a conflict in the schedule and um, it's just, there's not a lot of college students out there working for me. Um, in the beginning of the semester, yeah, people will be like, oh, I can get away that weekend, I can get away that weekend. But towards midterms, towards the final end of their, you know, their final exams, uh, nobody's available. Everybody's like, I got to study. I got this. I got that going on. I can't make it. Sorry. And so I'm like, all right, I understand. And and that's fine too. You know, I have my family members who help out a lot. Um, so yeah, there's, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So anybody could reach out to me and I respond back to them when I can. Well, would like to thank you, Val, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us about your journey on how you started Val's Fibre and also all of the great work that you are doing with the college students. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this experience. Thanks for listening to Native Talk Arizona, produced through a partnership between Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Our sound engineer is Javier Quiroca, and the executive producer is Susan Levy. And I'm Lanasha Puati, the host of Native Talk Arizona. Join us again next week. If you have any questions, please email us at nativetalkaz at radiophoenix.org.